This time, we're taking a bite-sized look at the MonsterVerse's latest offering, Godzilla vs. Kong. And along the way, we ask, what was the point of Mechagodzilla? Why is Hollow Earth now so important? And where does the MonsterVerse go from here? There can't be two alpha podcasts on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hey gang, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I am one of your co-hosts, the Mecha Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. I am the Monster Hunter, Chris <laughs> Rupp. The Monster Hunter, seeking down all monsters. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun to look at a film where in the universe there exists people whose occupation is to hunt down these giant titans and research them. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is kind of a fun verse, right? You just get to study like the prehistoric. Yeah, it's a fun occupation to kind of dissect because you got to understand human by bi um, animal biology. You also have to understand a bit of zoology and even cryptozoology while you're at it. Yeah, it's covering all those bases. You're literally doing what the archaeologists dream they could have done. I mean, I, I would think it's every zoologist or biologist's dream to find <laughs> evidence, firm evidence of some sort of cryptid, either it's Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. I mean, <laughs> I, I've, I've made no bones about it on this show about my uh, my skepticism at the existence of those creatures. But yeah, it's it's always fun to watch four different guys on a different discovery channel special and just going in the water and go oh look nessie's not over here either <laughs> right it's like those ghost hunter shows where they like see like air blown out from like a quarter the 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 curtains flow and they're like oh my god there's a ghost over in the room it's like no no someone just put a fan over there but so sure. cryptozoology and paranormal investigations aside, we are taking a special bite-sized look today at Godzilla vs. Kong, the newest edition in the MonsterVerse uh, film series. Yes. Very excited. Um, I know we talked about the last Godzilla film a couple, like, what was that, last year or maybe... Two years It'll ago. Be, uh, two years ago now when it came out. And um, yeah. today for this episode, since this is a newer release, we feel obligated to provide our listeners with a spoiler warning here. So if you have not seen Godzilla vs. Kong, pause the episode here, take a break, go watch Godzilla vs. Kong, even go back and listen to our episode on Godzilla King of the Monsters. But if you want your experience to remain spoiler free, definitely give our episode a pause here. <laughs> That's right. We're fast forward to the end and here are our uh, ratings. But Godzilla vs. Khan, I've been excited to watch this. Um, I've seen it all in the MonsterVerse, as we talked about in the last podcast. I, I love it. I know you were kind of like, meh, <laughs> but I, I got you to watch it, Chris. So I'm excited to talk about it. So let's give a spoiler or a uh, synopsis. Let's give a synopsis. Yes, so five years after the events of King of the Monsters, Godzilla seems to have turned his back on humanity. And so the mysterious monarch organization enlists the help of Kong on his, on his home of Skull Island to defeat the Titan and uncover a mystery that should have remained buried. Wow, that's pretty easy. 
<laughs> short, short and sweet. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I will say that the uh, the marketing for this film definitely kind of left something um, to the unknown. Like we didn't quite know what the plot was going to be about. All of the trailers seemed to just be focused on, hey, we've got Godzilla. We've got King Kong. They're going to fight. One of them might die. Yeah, it was it, it was very ambiguous. I, I really enjoyed that about this film. But I mean, all of them are kind of like, ooh, what's going to happen? Though, I think this film definitely played more into what the first Godzilla film in 2014 was, like where you didn't really know what to expect. No, and I like that mystery aspect to it. And But of course, there's always internet slews out there that want to try and <laughs> dissect what goes on in the trailer. So, of yeah. course, there's that moment when King Kong is swinging that big old axe there people are wondering like oh king kong has an axe where did he get that from and then they're looking in the yeah. reflection of their eyes like oh look there's red eyes does that mean there's mecha godzilla like what's <laughs> going on in this movie God. i just remember seeing those posts from like nerdist or geek fandom just all over facebook and the internet saying we have the latest dissection of the godzilla versus kong trailer right here the quote-unquote easter eggs god i hate those things so much I don't mind Easter eggs. I just mind when a film is jam-packed with them that yeah. it just feels overwhelming. Like, there's a big action scene going on, and, oh, look, there's a company over there. Oh, look, there's a little reference over there on somebody's shoe. Like, it's just it just gets into the minutia that it can just be overwhelming and distracting. Yeah, you're too distracted by, like, the stuff that's going on, like the little uh, references as opposed to what's actually happening in the story. But uh, to start it off, let's why don't we talk about who directed this film? So the director's new. Uh, he did not direct the last one. His name is um, Adam Wingard. And this guy, he's had a couple films in his uh, filmography. I know he did The Guest, uh, the Blair Witch reboot, and then Death Note. Um, I know Death Note. And those like the guest Blair Witch were kind of well received. They weren't terribly uh, critically planned, panned, but it was a couple years before he did this. I think his last film was 2017, so it had been about four years since he uh, made a movie. Yeah, I remember him being hired pretty early on in the development process for Godzilla vs. Kong, and that they this was a big movie that was almost teased right from the end of. Godzilla uh, Skull, uh, excuse me, Kong Skull Island a few years yeah. ago. Um, and there was a lot of speculation as to what this movie could look like. And Adam Wingard came on very early on in the process. And uh, I don't want to say totally rewrote the book for what a Godzilla film could look like. And this is where I think the series kind of gets off track a little bit because I think the series could could have benefited from having somebody direct multiple films because every single film in the series so far has been helmed by a different director yes and you feel it in every single film because it feels like every film is like a different style right well yeah you had the godzilla in 2014 was directed by gareth edwards kong skull island was directed by jordan vote roberts um king of the monsters was directed by michael dougherty and now Godzilla vs. Kong is directed here by Adam Wingard. So it's your vision your vision for the series kind of gets thrown off a little bit every time you have different directors. Uh but overall though, I would say that the series has done 
a good job, at least with these last two films, of blending together and making the universes more consistent. Yes, they did a much better job than Star Wars. <laughs> I will give them that, despite the very contrasting styles, you know. Um, I do think that they really kept the lore, or at least they expanded upon the fan lore for this film by far. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Wingard was definitely aided by a pretty decent cast here. We've got Alexander Skarsgård, one of the many members of the Skarsgård clan as Dr. Nathan Lind. <laughs> uh, Millie Bobby Brown reprises her role from in King of the Monsters as Madison Russell. Rebecca Hall, a newcomer to this series, she's uh, Dr. Eileen Andrews. We've also got the uh, Kaylee, uh, excuse me, Kaylee Hoddle as Gia. She's the she plays the uh, the deaf girl who is able to communicate with Kong. Mm-hmm. We've also got Brian Tyree Henry, who's a movie star waiting to blow up. He's Bernie Hayes, a conspiracy theorist slash podcaster. <laughs> uh, we've got we've got an uh, actor by the name of Shon Oguri as. Ren Sirizawa. Apparently, he is the son of Ken Watanabe's character who was killed in the previous film. Yeah. And they make like the briefest of passing references to it when his character is introduced. Well, that's what, it's a very blink and you'll miss it, which I will say this film was suffering from not having Ken Watanabe in it, at least in my opinion. Well, I think everybody could admit that every film could benefit from a little Ken Watanabe. <laughs> You're right. He's just great. He's great as an actor, and he just always he always adds to a film. Yeah, but then rounding out the principal cast, we got Isa Gonzalez as Maya Simmons, uh, Julian Dennison as Josh Valentine, who uh, has to kind of tone down his comedic skills a little bit because he's been in two of my favorite comedies that have ever been made hunt for the wilder people and Deadpool two. So really kind of tones down the whole geekiness aspect to him. We've also got Lance Reddick and Kyle Chandler reprising their roles. Uh, but Lance Reddick was all in the film for like 15 seconds. So I don't know how much he got paid to be in this film, but I hope it was a lot. And then we also get uh Demian Bashir as Walter Simmons, but the, biggest surprise for me at least was no charles dance charles dance does not reprise his role from king of the monsters and i thought he was the best part of that movie i know that was the worst part about it it was like where'd this man go he seemed to have so much fun but maybe they ran out of money i don't know well, this was a gripe that we had brought up in King of the Monsters was that that film seemed so determined to just distance itself from what had been established in the first Godzilla film. And I also read up that another actress who was in that film, uh, Zhang Zi, she was cast here in Godzilla versus Kong, but her role was ultimately cut out of the film. So we almost get this repeat of bad patterns of just saying, well, we're going to be very different than what the previous film did. Because even Kyle Chandler, he's in the film just a slightly bit longer than Lance Reddick is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of... Well, that's the thing about this film. There were a lot of short, like, blink-and-you'll-miss-it roles, I feel like. Right? They really only focused on, like, a few of the humans in this film. Well, this is a problem that I think kind of goes back to some of the 
disaster films of the mid 90s as you have so many people crammed into a film like this yes and you aren't you you aren't able to develop arcs fully but you also are not able to devote enough story time to these individuals i mean this is a less than two hour film so obviously you're not going to be able to flesh out the arc of a millie bobby brown's character or julian dennison's character as well as uh, Demi and Bashir and Sh- uh, Shunagori's character. And mm-hmm. most of these characters just wind up as Titan fodder. Like they're killed at some point in the film. But they, yeah. Uh, Demi and Bashir, Isa Gonzalez, Shunagori, all, their characters all die in yeah. this film. Yeah. <laughs> they're all just taken off. Uh, before we talk a little bit more about that, do you want to like get into the production values a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So pretty sizable budget was committed to this film. And I think that's the norm with the MonsterVerse films so far. The, the budget I've seen estimates between 155 and $200 million. So Jesus. so pretty sizable budget commitment that uh, the uh, Warner Brothers and uh, Legendary Studios have committed. Uh, because even Godzilla, King of the Monsters, that budget was somewhere between 170 and $2 million. And uh, I must... I'm assuming that the the other the the original Godzilla film was in uh, the same neighborhood because there's just they were throwing around money left and right to these films because they uh, the big thing now in Hollywood is to create some sort of film universe. You know, Marvel has theirs. DC tried to create theirs. Universal tried to get their uh, horror universe off the ground. And now Legendary Studios has the monsterverse they've got godzilla they've got kong they've got the rights to all of these other titans that exist within this universe and they wanted to do something big they wanted to modernize the godzilla and the kong franchises Mm-hmm. and they i don't know where they're going with it but it seems like <laughs> they keep making money so i feel like this is the studios going well it keeps making money let's let's do it let's just shell more of these films out see if people see if any of them hit well i mean so far i would say that two of the films have really hit the mark in terms of what they were going for i think the first godzilla film in this series in 2014 really hit the mark of what it wanted to do i think it effectively modernized the the giant monster genre and then uh kong skull island was just while it was dripping with adventure film nostalgia, it felt fresh. Like, I don't know how to describe it other than it just felt like a breath of fresh air into the adventure film genre. I, I'll agree with you. I, I enjoyed Kong and I enjoyed Godzilla. I think they were different, though. The, um, the Godzilla, the initial one, was very much more um, dependent on the human perspective. You know, Godzilla just seemed like a, he was kind of like Jaws, where he just added the little bit of extra emotional balance and the facilitation of the conflict. But like these two films, like King of the Monsters and now Kong, were just way different perspective. Like they, I feel like what they did was they they watched King of the Monsters and they listened to the critics where they're like, ah. Oh, it's it. We can't see the monsters. This boring human dialogue is lousy. We're tired of it. And so what can we do? Let's just have insane monster battles and just like go all in on the monsters and nothing about the humans at all. 
Well, yeah, and and I think that has to be, uh, that has to be one of the things that you have to examine when you're creating a film like this. Is your human characters have to be well rounded? They have to be fully formed, and they have to be strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously not Titan strong, but they have to be the main part of the story. It can't be, oh, look at the giant monster that's squishing skyscrapers. <laughs> it can't just be that. Yes. If that's all you want to watch, you can just watch the Godzilla films from the 60s. There's plenty of those where <laughs> that's all he does. Yes. I was, though, curious if they were going to do any tie-ins from the Kong film, right? I didn't. I didn't really see any tie-ins from that. No, I think the tie-ins are much more subtle, and I think the big, the biggest tie-in is that end credit sequence at the end of Kong Skull Island. But the the major tie-in overall, I think, with these films is the monarch organization that's mm-hmm. been present for all of these films so far, kind of operating in the shadows, has a black budget, has tr- been covertly tracking these titans and trying to figure out a way to kill them or at least get them on our side. Yeah. But now it just now. I think here in uh, Godzilla versus Kong, they've they almost became secondary. Like at the end of the film, you get that reminder: oh yes, Monarch is still here. But yeah. for the majority <laughs> of the film, it's kind of lost on us that Monarch is supposed to be this giant organization. Yeah, I mean, this film they totally well. That's what I mean. They were totally like they went from grounded in humanistic perspective in the first two films to like kind of, all right, this is getting a little crazy with flying spaceships, submarines, craziness to now this is like, they're jumping through portals in the world. They have weird machines that like float from one side to the other side of the world. I mean, it's, you almost like forget what the hell's going on, you know, like Monarch was like a thing in the past. While watching this, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, there's just too much going on to ground this film. Yeah, like you were saying, and it, you have a you have Mecha Godzilla that's able to be telepathically oh, yeah. controlled, which was crazy. And somehow there's, and somehow there's what like a was that a maglev rail that uh, that trans that goes from florida to hong kong like how this is it's bordering (laughs) it's getting less science fiction and more on the fantastical well yeah that's it's like crazy science fiction fantasy i think that's what i mean i think the director they're just like go with it dude go crazy and he just did but it just didn't i wanted to know like what year it was with this film i'm like when what is this like because this isn't this isn't modern times we don't have that technology no and this is part of where it's it's hard to suspend the disbelief here because in King of the Monsters, I was really able to buy into the fact that, yes, Monarch has this giant stealth plane that they're able to go anywhere in the world in 30 minutes. They're able to launch attacks. They have all this monitoring equipment up here. I was able to buy into that because that was really the most advanced piece of technology in the film. I was also able to buy into the scene in Antarctica where they release Ghidorah. But here, this is just... It's too fantastical. It's almost like watching the Guardians of the Galaxy fight Godzilla. Absolutely. It's <laughs> they just added uh so much that's why I mean with like lore. It was just so much extra stuff where at some point you're just like, "Okay, 
whatever, man. I just want to see Kong like go and attack things. And it made me really, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt like Kong was the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, it, we eventually figure out that he's the protagonist, but the film takes a long way to get there. Well, yeah, and then they give you that ham-fisted scene where he sits on the throne, and you're like, all right, this is about Kong. <laughs> and Godzilla is basically the antagonist, which is crazy because Godzilla, up until now, was pretty much the hero of the species, and, you know, they finally... You know, you figure out with Mecha Godzilla and the evil guy, you know, that Godzilla was actually for the humans. He was just trying to save them or whatever. They they had him murdering monsters off screen. But I think that's where the film kind of failed, right? Because we didn't get to see, like, him killing the monsters and, like, why. They just mentioned it. So you're kind of like, wait, what? What's going on? No, we get the briefest of mentions in the in the opening credits there of it circling the the titans that were introduced in the past film. It's like, oh, eliminated, destroyed, uh, and so on and so forth. Like, come on, I want to see that. Where's that prologue of Godzilla <laughs> defeating one of the other titans that emerged at the end of the last film? Yeah. Exactly. I was wondering about that, too, when it happened. I'm like, wait, what? Why is Godzilla mean now? So I do think I'll agree with you. There was a couple missteps with the narrative, right? And I do, though, think that with the human perspective, though, I was glad that it was kind of like minimized because I think with Kong, uh, like the monsters, that to me, like it was so annoying the endless cutbacks to the people. And it was like, we didn't really care about the relationships. Whereas with this film, it was pretty light, pretty quick. They kept it moving, kept it moving. Yeah. I will say that Adam Wingard definitely leaned into the, into the spectacle of having Godzilla and Kong face off against each other. And their fights were freaking epic, man. Dude, I know. Weren't they cool? Probably. I mean, on the same level as, those giant fights we got in Pacific Rim. Oh, yes. I will totally agree with you, Chris. Because I, while watching this, I'm like, dude, this is like Pacific Rim. This is just amazing. <laughs> if you love this type of stuff, I could watch this for days. You see Kong with the axe and all that. I mean, it was great. I will say the Mecha Godzilla was a little off-putting. It, it seemed very left field, right? Like where it was like, when they introduce a boss in the last like 20 minutes of the film and you're like, where did this come from? What? But I forgave it because the scenes were so cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I I have to agree with you that the introduction of Mechagodzilla at this point just seemed like it almost felt premature. Like it shouldn't have happened here in this film. And this is the problem that happens with a lot of sequels. And this happened in King of the Monsters. You introduce so many other elements that it makes it next to impossible to follow up with that. And the only thing they could have done here in Godzilla versus Kong after King of the Monsters was introduce Mechagodzilla. That was the only trick they had left in their holster here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was pretty much the only one that they didn't have. I mean, and I enjoyed the fight between them, but I just felt like if Mechagodzilla had its own movie, it would have been, we would have had some more epic sequences. Yeah, just do a Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla film. You don't have to have Godzilla fights Kong, Godzilla defeats Kong, and then Kong realizing he has to help Godzilla defeat Mecha Godzilla. 
that's a lot of mapping and gymnastics you have to do to create an ending for this film. Well, yeah, because now we're like, well, where do we go from here? You know, like how are what sequels? Because how many monsters are left in the monster universe that they could draw up, you know? So it's like, uh, they could have done so much more. But I feel like maybe the director was like, well, this might be the last one. So we will leave it kind of open, but we don't want to leave it too open, you know? Right. And I would hope that they would keep the cast together. I mean, I lo- for for however brief they were in the film, I did like having Rebecca Hall and Alexander Skarsgård here in this film together. But I think it's time to kind of cut loose the the arc that is the Russell family and Kyle Chandler's and Millie Bobby oh. Brown's character. I think it's time to kind of cut them loose from this <laughs> series. Oh, dude, you and me both. They had that trope where, like, he shows up in Japan somehow and just finds her in the middle of the crowd. I just went, oh, God, I roll. I mean, I do like the addition of Brian Tyree Henry's character, but I don't see him returning for another film because all of his conspiracy theories have been proven right, and I don't, yeah. I don't see where else that character can go in an additional film. No, unfortunately, you're right. He did have his full circle with his wife, you know, the flask and everything, dumping it out. I mean, he, I don't think he could go anywhere as well, and he would just be reduced to a. Um, basically like spitting out one-liners to make people laugh. So I don't think, I mean, you know, they'll pay people to do that, but I hope they don't. Although Alexander Skarsgård character definitely has a boost in his confidence. Now that he knows that hollow earth is actually real. Yeah. Hollow earth, Chris, I had no idea even what hollow earth was. And apparently I was watching review with other um, review shows that I watch on YouTube. And apparently they've been mentioning Hollow Earth throughout all the films. I guess I didn't catch it because it was so off the cuff. What did you think of this concept of Hollow Earth? Actually, explain Hollow Earth to our listeners. Okay, so Hollow Earth fits into this whole broad realm that is pseudoscience. So you're going to have things like eugenics in there. You're going to have phrenology in there. And any other pseudoscience, any other science, quote unquote, that's been proven to be not real um, kind of fits within this category. And Hollow Earth is that. And this was something that came around in the 17th century because back then people were just stupid and nobody knew how anything really worked. <laughs> so the, the suggestion was actually uh, uh, propagated by a scientist by the name of Edward Edmund Halley. And if you're wondering why that name sounds familiar, it's because the guy has Halley's Comet named after him. So while, yes, pretty smart guy, also pretty dumb for suggesting that Hollow Earth uh, could have been a thing. Um, his original idea was that Earth was either entirely hollow or... Or it contains a large space in the middle. And so he came up with this in 1692. But this was later disproved uh, by two scientists, actually, both in the 18th century. So Pierre uh, Bouget in 1740 and Charles Hutton later disproved it in 1774. So and but it's now become this very popular thing to include in like science fiction as well. And it even goes back to mythology. The concept of hollow earth exists in Greek mythology as well as Celtic and Hindu mythology as sort of like either this lush um, like jungle type of world or it's just like an underworld kind of hell landscape there. 
Yeah, and it's it's just it's just been able to like propagate like um and Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne really kind of popular popularized the idea that hollow earth could exist but by that by the time that book was published everybody knew that the hollow earth idea was just bunk and again like we don't we don't know for certain what is at the center of the earth i mean we have a pretty good idea that there's the crust the mantle the outer core the inner core and and then the 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 crust is made up of the uh, tectonic plate so i would say that we've kind of Mm. pretty much have nailed down exactly what the earth is made of and this hollow earth thing is just it's a massive leap for me and to just for them to (laughs) for them to go into hollow earth with those vehicles those (laughs) heaves they call them i think it just seemed it just seemed very much like a jumping the shark kind of moment for this franchise well it just took the film from like one perspective and brought it all the way to like oh we don't care anymore we're just gonna go all schlock and go all the way because you got it was like the film was winking at us like we know you just want to see Godzilla and Kong fight so we're just going to focus on them screw it this has become a fa- a space adventure film yeah it, and that's what i took away from it yeah if you're going to do schlock focus on the monster fights don't focus on this whole pseudoscience fantasy aspect of these creatures in this franchise because it was fun while hollow earth was just a theory and now and now it's exposed. It's no longer fun anymore. We know it's now a thing. Yeah. There's no mystery I, to I it. Mean, <laughs> I can't believe... I mean, well, I can. You know, science is always meant to be disproven um, and continuing on. So, I mean, it's funny that there was the idea of hollow earth, but it's crazy. It's kind of perplexing that that is the basis of this film. I mean, it's kind of perplexing, but it's kind of cool that the writers took that upon themselves to make like Kong's lair, I guess, in the middle of the film, you know, like in the middle of Earth. But I don't know. That was just kind of to me. I was confused as hell when he went to Hollow Earth. I was like, where is he going? What what is happening? Why is Kong experiencing anti-gravity? He's like floating, touching rocks. What is this nonsense? But then I just chalked up to schlock and said what the hell yeah i mean at, at some point i feel like a lot of people may have checked out when the hollow earth idea and that scene became fully formed and you see kong enter into this space that it's either like a desert landscape or there's volcanoes or there's jungle and he's yeah. also fighting these weird worm monsters that are trying to get him it, it just <laughs> it really just kind of felt like a jumping the shark type of moment for uh, this series and for, and for this Titan for King Kong. Oh, without a doubt. And then once Godzilla like shoots his beams down to hollow earth, that's what I knew. I'm like, there's no going back from here. You know, like this is, this is all schlock because the Godzilla start or the Kong starts climbing his way up from hollow earth all the way up to Tokyo. It's like, what is going on? This is just complete nonsense. Yeah, and then intermingled with that, you have this 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 greedy corporate CEO who's trying to find yeah. a hidden power in uh, Hollow Earth so he can power Mecha Godzilla so he can kill Godzilla and Kong. Like, ugh. it's just these people have a and massive understanding of what Godzilla is actually trying to do, and it isn't to destroy. 
it isn't to destroy people or eat people. It's to save. It's to protect people. That's always been yes. Godzilla's main goal. There's always been the objective of these films, and to create something <laughs> that is the antithesis of Godzilla just kind of seems contradictory to what these films have been going for in the past. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It didn't, it well, it just didn't make sense why this random dude was doing it. Like he didn't have a personal vendetta, you know, there was no business or government funding behind him, nothing. And, uh, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Like the whole scene with his daughter, like somehow teleporting Godzilla, you know, like the, material so they could activate mecca and then she dies gets squished by kong and then the creator her dad ends up getting killed by mecca godzilla anyway so it's just like i don't know i didn't really like that scene either i was like what is this this typical you know the creator gets killed by his creation yeah, it's very Frankensteinish, and I think that's true of a lot of films yeah. that we watch where some sort of giant mech is created or in some way harms the people that are piloting it. I mean, it even happened in Pacific Rim where they realize, oh, one pilot yeah. can't do this on its own. It hurts them. So we have two now that pilot yeah. them. But what did you think of, like, the Mecha Godzilla? like, I guess... But the way they programmed it or facilitated it, wasn't it in like a skull of like one of those creatures and it was very neon purple? Yeah, they, they took it from the skull, I think, of uh, of Ghidorah, which which we now yeah. know like from the end credit sequence of King of the Monsters that that's what Charles Dance's character did with the skull. He sold it to Walter Simmons here. And mm-hmm. and I, I just don't understand why it has to be the son of Ken Watanabe's character that pilots this thing. It's like, no, your your father revered Godzilla. He wanted to protect yeah. him. And now you're creating something that's going to kill you, most likely, and is going to kill the thing that your father uh, sacrificed his life to try and save. It didn't make sense, you know? It was like, why? He had no motivation. I mean, unless the kid was pissed off because his dad sacrificed himself to, like, power up Godzilla. But there was nothing there. We never got that. So we didn't understand his motivations. No, he's in the film for all of two minutes. So how are we going to be able to understand exactly what his motivations are? Yeah. Other than him getting melted by the skull or whatever when he mind melds with Mecha Godzilla. So on that note, do you think that this film has a monster problem or a human problem? I think this film has a human problem. I mean, it's hard with the monsters. So with the monsters, when we see this film, it's really hard to facilitate anything good with it. Because we want to see them crash and bang and like destroy things right and fight because what else are they going to do you know what's a monster film without a big fight so i think in order to facilitate a good monster you have to have a good human experience and some compelling characters a compelling story something you know like kong kong in every kong film he has the blonde chick or some woman that he's attached to that like brings him together but this film, I just don't think had that. They tried it with the deaf little girl, but I think they were so turned off by Kong versus like the monsters because the human 
perspective really bogged down the film and the monsters were kind of like toned down or they were shown where it was like always crappy CGI or it was dark or what what have you. So I think they really just put full throttle into monsters. But due to that, there was no base, you know, to fall on. There was nothing. There, there wasn't that emotional weight that we could compel us to care. Right. And I think the, the human characters are they're they're spread out too far among uh across the oh, film yeah. for us to really kind of connect them to for in to a central location i mean they ev- do eventually all wind up uh, in hong kong at some point together but it's just they start out very separate and then they wind up together so it's kind of really like an allegory for how long it really takes for this film to become clear and exactly what it is they're going for yeah cuz we don't know like it's she has her dad on the other side of the globe, the daughter, and then we have her and a conspiracy theorist and a kid jumping into this crazy expensive technology, going to Japan, Mecca Godzilla for reasons to blow the lid off of stuff and they get in over their head. It was just very hard to suspend your disbelief, in my opinion. I don't know about you. No, and this was a problem that we encountered in King of the Monsters, and this is not something that I, I'm not confident that they will know how to fix in future films, uh, because it, they seem so intent on, re- A, revealing the Titans way too early in the film for them to have any sort yep. of real effect, and you've spread out all of the characters across the film, so the film just feels too disconnected for the audience to really kind of buy into the plot. And then also, too these characters really aren't given any sort of like memorable uh, intro to us. I mean, it's, I mean, we get that with Brian Tyree Henry's character, but Billy Bobby Brown just shows up at one point. Uh, So does Rebecca Hall's character. (laughs) Alexander Skarsgård character is seen sitting on a pile of his unsold books. I mean, I just, yeah, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to buy into the believability of this film when, I I almost forget by the end of it how Rebecca Hall even showed up at one point. I'm going to agree with you. I think, honestly, Brian Tyree Henry is pretty much the only character in the film that's fully fleshed out. And he's the only one, I think, other than Godzilla and Kong, that actually makes sense that he goes in full circle. Which I have to give credit to Brian Tyree Henry. I don't know how he has managed to find roles like this where they seem to be fully fleshed out because he did the child's play reboot a couple of years ago he was in widows a couple of years ago and now this where he just seems to find like these great fully fleshed characters in small movies and also blockbusters as well and i think he is a movie star in the making i know he set the star in marvel's the eternals uh he's actually playing uh, marvel's first gay superhero so big ups to him i think he's he's gonna be a big star I'm going to echo your sentiments right there. I think I, I totally agree. He was fantastic in this film. Everyone else was like, meh, <laughs> but he he was great. I mean, I would I, like I, I said, I hope that Alexander Skarsgård characters return same with Rebecca's, Rebecca Hall's characters. I think they, they had good chemistry together, and I would like to see Skarsgård get some more badass moments. I think he is capable of doing that, even though his character was maybe <laughs> poorly written. But I want I want his character <laughs> you, to get those opportunities to be a badass. 
You mean he's a scientist with an idea and this multi-billion dollar guy is like, hey, you wrote about this. Finance my company. Okay. Off of a whim, we're going to make Mecha Godzillas. It was very, yes, very circumstantial. So, I mean, we, I mean, so let's go from here. Let's proceed on. <laughs> All right. Lens flare. <laughs> what uh, what was your lens flare, Sean? My lens flare. Uh, with this film, I think my lens flare was, uh, I'm going to say some of the Kong elements when he was in the hollow uh, world. It just took a little bit too long with him traversing it. I don't know, the people's reactions. It just, I don't know, it just kind of turned me off, him traversing Hollow World. I think a lot of the dialogue was pretty choppy and lousy with the humans. So I'm going to say my whole lens flare was like the entire humanistic perspective in this film. It was just like, bleh. I didn't really care for it at all, and it didn't really make sense to me. How about you? You know, I'm going to have to go with uh an aspect of brian tyree's henry's character that uh that kind of bothered me at the end of the film and it's the idea that the flask of whiskey he was carrying around is just grabbed by a child and thrown onto the computer console and that is the thing that is able to disrupt <laughs> mecha godzilla for the briefest of moments and allows our titans to destroy that uh, destroy that giant robot Dude, it was the ultimate movie trope. I was watching it with a few friends of mine, and even I shouted out, oh, come on, when that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate movie trope. I thought, ah, I thought that that was completely ridiculous. It was. It was absolutely ridiculous. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Although, speaking of things that may have been found ridiculous, I mean, the internet has also taken to... Uh, taken to uh, voice their discomfort. So do you want to hear the latest edition in This Week in Toxic Fandom? Oh, dude, you know I love it. Go for <laughs> it. Okay, so courtesy of IMDb here, two of the ships in the first battle between Kong and Godzilla were Aegis-guided missile cruisers, one showing a hull number of 39 and the other 85. However, Aegis oh. cruisers only bore hull numbers from 47 to 73. Wow. How I mean, great. I mean, you're you're in the military and even you got to be like, really, there's all these military nerds out there. It was just so stupid. I mean, I get it. All right. I get it. I, I didn't understand why there were so many military ships guiding Kong and why the Navy just was willing to sacrifice tons of lives. But Jesus Christ. <laughs> there's other things in life to focus on this and they took to imdb for it yep they had to make the displeasure known to the world as if the internet cares about their opinions <sighs> i i saw something from uh toxic fandom where they basically talked about the warships and battleships and those scenes where like you know kong's being transported and they basically said the warships with the battleship styled turrets have the distinct superstructure of the Arleigh Burke class 
guided missile destroyer, while the hull heavily resembles far more older Iowa-class battleships, all of which were decommissioned throughout the 1990s. So whoever wrote that was like, there's no way in hell that those ships were in those modern eras. Yeah, and there, there, apparently there's like boat pedants that just took to IMDb because I think that's half of the the factual errors that are listed <laughs> here in this category. Look, man, they wanted to put boats out there. And sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes they don't know what to go off of, so they did it. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of boat pedants. If you look at IMDb on this, a bunch of like the factual errors were about the boats. Yeah, I like, don't get, get a life, people. They're just military <laughs> warships. It's a bunch of Navy guys that got mad about it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So going from here, Chris, did you have any red shirts? You know, I had one. And um, I mean, there's a, a plenty to choose from here, but I'm going to have Good to Lord. go with uh, the character of Maya Simmons. Um, OK. I mean, because she's she's in the background for most of these scenes and. And then every all the plot threads just kind of come together when they're in that throne room in Hollow Earth when she re, when she unveils you know Bond villain s style of the her and her father's grand plans to steal this power give it to Mecha Godzilla and kill Godzilla and Kong, and then of course as Kong's escaping Hollow Earth she gets crushed and killed so I mean she got her just desserts but I don't. I don't feel like that she was a proper villain in this film. So, yeah, um, Isa Gonzalez, Maya Simmons is my red shirt. How about you? Dude, so, yes, I totally agree with you. She, her character threw me by surprise, right? I and I feel like you experienced that same thing as me, where it's like, wait, what? It's like one of those gotcha, you know, last minute. So I felt really bad for her character. I also felt bad for the uh, security guards, were mine that when uh excuse me when brian henry's character like he's sneaking around and then he sees the two security guards and they're like what are you doing here you know what are you looking at and then godzilla just completely brutally murders them by accident i felt bad for those guys you know they're just trying to do their job and brian henry had no reason to be in down there in that secure area so those and then that female as well. She just got killed unceremoniously. Wasn't fair. Nope, not fair. This fi- <laughs> this film did its characters wrong. Its human characters wrong. Thank God though they didn't brutally murder animals to show the force. <laughs> just to show them that Mecha Godzilla works. You know, kill like yeah, a litter right. of puppies or something. Well, he did kill a bunch of evil animals from kong island but i guess because they were the villains from four two movies ago we were like all right that's fine you can murder them we don't care yeah well uh, we're, we're okay with a bunch of uh skull crawlers getting killed yeah apparently apparently <laughs> so moving forward chris what is the legacy of this monster universe i know i've seen news articles moving forward i think the director said he wants to keep pressing on what do you say about it? You know, well, as of today that we're recording this uh, here on uh, April 27th, they actually just announced that Adam Wingard is attached to direct another entry here in the MonsterVerse. 
Um, there are rumors mm-hmm. that it's going to be called Son of Kong, but nothing's confirmed just yet. So it sounds oh like they God. it sounds like they've got some ideas percolating about how to maybe continue on the MonsterVerse with uh, King Kong and maybe giving Godzilla a break. But there's no there's no real kind of clear picture of what a future film is going to look like just yet. That just sounds horrible. But we'll probably watch it because people are watching Mortal Kombat and that looks god awful. You know, actually, I did just watch Mortal Kombat and I thought it was entertaining. So, <laughs> so all right. Well, maybe we'll maybe I'll watch it and we can review it. How about that? Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> but for the most what part, else? but for the most part, I would say here in the still kind of in the death throes of the pandemic here in 2021 this uh, Godzilla versus Kong has actually been uh very popular i mean it's it's as yeah. of as of the time we're recording today it's gross over 400 million dollars so the film is making money it's turned a profit of about 70 million dollars so far um mm. it's also uh they now consider it the most successful uh launch item in HBO Max's history because this was simultaneously released in theaters and on HBO Max so it's gotten a boost from uh HBO and streaming services there and as well as getting people uh safely returning to theaters and critical response has also been pretty positive as well i mean there's a 75% on rotten tomatoes um metacritic's a bit lower coming in at about a 59 but still overall pretty positive scores for godzilla versus kong oh absolutely all right well too easy man that's good to know what about our rating chris what do you rate kong versus godzilla on our unique force-fed sci-fi scale of wouldn't watch would watch would host a viewing party would own yeah i mean we'll throw in would own because it is most likely going to get a physical media release but and i think for king of the monsters i rated it a would not watch so <laughs> I'm going to come in slightly higher here on Godzilla versus Kong, and I'm going to call this a wood watch. I mean, there uh, there is a lot to praise here, particularly with the Titan fights of Kong and Godzilla. I mean, obviously, that's what the name of the film is. So you're expecting giant Titan fights and you expect those to be entertaining. However, the film goes a long way to get to the overall point of the film. I mean, we have to get an hour and 30 minutes in before we even understand exactly why we're going into hollow earth. What's Kong doing in the throne room? What is the motivation of Walter Simmons and Maya Simmons? Um, And to that point as well, it makes the human characters unnecessary, especially since you're just going to lean into the fact that, we have giant titans duking it out and then also mecha godzilla shows up and as i've mentioned the inclusion of mecha godzilla really just kind of jumps the shark for this series and overall in spite of the news that we've received today about adam wingard going to direct a future film i would still say this the the trajectory of this series is still unclear like i don't know what they're going to do from here i don't know what the plan is all the other titans are dead it seems like they're transitioning away from Godzilla and Kong is living it up in hollow earth to when, you know, Kong's living his best life there. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with a wood watch. It's still entertaining, but it's just unclear of where the series as a whole goes from here. So how about you, Sean? I'm going to put this as a wood own. 
Um, I think for me, why I put it as Woodone is I think it is a breath of fresh air from the last one, the Monsters film, which was terrible. Um, I, I don't think it's an amazing film, but if you enjoy monster movies where they just beat the hell out of each other, I think Kong and Godzilla is fantastic. Mecha Godzilla, despite how uh, brief the character is in the film, it's the fight scenes are great. Uh, like we discussed, the characters, the humans, it's like meh side piece. There are some gems where you can pull out, but all in all, it is very, ooh, it is very uh, boring and forgettable character wise but it's kind of it's up my alley i really enjoyed those fights and despite our uh, claims about the lore the uh kong traversing the world was it was annoying but it was cool at the same time cool cgi so if you want to see a big monster fight go for it check this out if you want to see something more in depth, probably watch one of these Oscar nominated movies in the past, you know, from the Oscars. Otherwise, I think, you know, it wasn't a terrible movie, but it wasn't a great movie. And that's all I got for you. All right. Well, differ slightly, but hey, that's okay. That's why we review these things. That's fine. Yes. Potato, potato, my man. It's always great reviewing films with you chris oh likewise my friend so i think that's gonna wrap it up here on this latest episode of force fed sci-fi uh thank you for indulging us here once again with another bite-sized edition <laughs> uh we will be back very soon with our regularly scheduled programming and if you enjoyed today's episode please head on over to apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review that really is the best place to do it uh, we are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. Please leave us a comment, like us on Facebook. We love hearing from you guys. And head on over to our website, ForcefedSciFi.com. That's where we've got all of our show notes and links to all of our social media there. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, myself and Sean Culp, we will see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky and Sean Culp. Artwork design by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.